0: You're listening to the Forlow Adventure Podcast, a show created to inspire people to find their true passion through adventure. My name is Nikolai Dimitrov, and I'm a photographer who's crazy about the outdoors. In this show, I'll be sitting down with adventurers to talk about their travels, their experiences, and lessons they've learned along the way. Enjoy. What is going on, Forlow community? Welcome back to yet another episode of the Forlow Podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. Today, we've got a new kind of guest. Our guest is called Richard Matthews. Richard is a mountaineer at heart. However, during one of his mountain adventures, he discovered the art and the beauty of overlanding, after which he decided to enter an overlanding rally in the Nissan Micra. Richard has called the overlanding bug. He's been in overlanding adventures, rallies, and most importantly, he circumnavigated the world in his Nissan Micra. Join me in my conversation with Richard, where we talk about all his adventures, some of the mishaps, his learnings, his lessons, and what is taken away from his overlanding adventures and his life as an overlander. All right, let's switch down to 4 low and enjoy this episode. Yeah, say so hi everyone.
1: Um, my name is obviously Richard. Thanks, Nikolai. Thanks for being here. And I've... I'm a bit of an adventurer, explorer, and kind of of jack-of-all-trades in terms of things I've done, and they they range from quite a few things, from the world of mountaineering to overlanding, which is probably what we should talk about today, and within that, I've done a few things in Nissan Micras, mainly, driving them to Mongolia and back, and navigating the globe. Not something you do with your Nissan Micra every day, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. In terms of what I'm doing at the minute, it's more a case of helping out where I can with driving bands and kind of helping out with that. To while while the outdoor industry recovers and we can all get back outside proper, but yeah, that's that's a little bit about me currently and what I'm doing. In terms of the future, well, there's a lot of trips that I've got planned and uh, thinking about, but we'll uh, we'll go into that in a bit, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is quite new for our listeners and, and for the podcast so far. Um, just to give you the kind of guests that we've had so far, tend to be the more four by four kind of overlanders and the people that build out their trucks. I underline the word trucks <laughs> um, and then take them <laughs> on different adventures around the world. Now, you said you are an adventurer, mountaineer, and you've taken your micro <laughs> all over the world. So, Tell us the story about that. How did you get into into the overlanding space? And more importantly, why a Nissan Micra? Well,
1: I actually got into the overlanding space by accident. And I'd been in the mountaineering world for most of my life. And it started with doing the Mongol rally in 2015. And that was kind of an accident as well. Found it online and then went to a couple of friends. Hey, do you want to do this? And they begrudgingly said yes. And we started looking around at what vehicles people were taking. Now, the requirements for that were it had to be under 1.2 litres, and it, it straight up wasn't allowed to be a 4x4, four four and it had to be under £500. Now, the most common vehicle that people were buying was Nissan Micras, and us being pretty experienced and not having a clue, we kind of got one for, I think we paid 75 quid each for it. and. Um, yeah, we we tricked it out with some bigger springs, and a, a roof rack, and a, a light bar, and that that was about it. And oh, sorry, I should point out the bigger springs were only on the rear and didn't really do anything because we didn't change the shocks. <laughs> <laughs> like I said we had no clue what we were doing, and we did put a sump guard on. That's one thing we did. It wasn't made of metal; it was a plastic one. It did the trick. That was kind of the start of it for me. It was kind of the organisation preparing the of stepping into the unknown in two-wheel drive car to drive to Mongolia and then drive back, and we we took it out in some places, like driving across Mongolia, Mongolia's pretty vast, and we we were carrying all our own fuel, we were carrying all our own supplies, we were sleeping in tents, or should I say everyone else was sleeping in tents because one of the guys on my team was an engineer and he got sponsored by a company to hang hammocks around the vehicle in this kind of really mad spider-like design that he built. And that was kind of the deal. If we built this system, they would give us hammocks and things. So that's what we did. In terms of the actual overlanding and and where it went from there, it was kind of a case of well, we just drove, to be honest. We we went off-road in Mongolia. We went kind of here and there and everywhere in Kyrgyzstan. And we drove across the the legendary Pamir Highway. If, if anybody's heard of that, it's pretty pretty ridiculous road. And that was kind of the start of it. And from there, it was it was a case of wow, this is this is incredible. And um, yeah, let's see if we can get these cars further. And that was kind of the start of the next trip, which was to try and circumnavigate the world in two cars that were really a bit terrible and kind of go from there. And that's where I bought the, the second micro, which I still have and still drive around into this day. And yeah, that, that was the, the start of it
0: really. So how long did the whole rally
1: take you? So the actual trip was two and a half months, the first one. The, the circumnavigation was five days under a year, I think it was, or something like that, a week under a year. That's incredible.
0: One of the questions that comes to mind straight away is, you're an adventurer, you're somebody who's experienced in being out there. And it sounds like you've always been out there, whether it's in the mountain, climbing mountains and, and trekking through mountain ranges or in a car, it doesn't matter. But how does somebody who has no experience of doing an off-roading rally in the first place prepare for such a long trip? What organization, what planning did you do in order to, to feel ready to actually go out and, and do that rally?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question because a lot of people don't think about that side of it when they're going, out, especially overseas. Obviously, staying here, it doesn't really matter. Overseas, the kind of the planning involved was absolutely terrible. It took us about a year to plan just that two-month, two-and-a-half-month trip and uh, about six months for the year-long trip, mainly because of visas. And Some of the visas took six months to get. And then there's you know the insurances. There's the carne, the passages, if they're needed, if they're not needed. Um, there's all the import rules of kind of driving in certain countries. And it actually felt like we were prepared. We, we over-planned it on that first trip on the Mongol. route. We, we planned it by the day, where we'd be, what we'd do, which was great from the pro, you know, progress of saying where we were, what we wanted to do. But in terms of being an adventure, it was kind of restricting. We couldn't just go off and do something randomly because we had to stick to the plan. Not to say that it wasn't a great adventure, of course. It, it certainly was, but that restriction made it somewhat limiting. To be fully prepared for something like that on the first trip, you just can't. And I think the, the biggest asset to anyone who's looking to go on their first big trip, or overseas in particular, is, is all about how the mindset of being in certain situations and just staying calm, especially with border crossings those are
0: those are very interesting to say the least which was your favorite or least favorite border crossing which one was the most interesting let's say the most interesting i think many
1: of them have been very interesting for very different reasons yeah just <laughs> it is a real spectrum it really is from uh, iran where it took us 12 hours to get into the country and then 12 hours to leave the country including giving my t-shirt to somebody Uh, in exchange for a phone number of them to help us out getting out of the country. Um, Along with, uh, on the other side of things, rocking up in these ridiculous cars, because they did look ridiculous. I mean, on the circumnavigation, we ended up having a shopping trolley on top of the car. And yeah, it's literally that. The the border guards have that expression, like, what on earth is this? What do we do with this? So they come up to us and basically ask us, I think this was in, uh, Kyrgyzstan. I goes, have you got any, any kind of motions out? Have you got any guns? Have you got any drugs? Um, and do you have any, um, what's the other one. Anyway, he, he did these motions and he's like, all right, cool. You don't have them. Can you buy them? And that, that was it. <laughs> Didn't say anything else, you know, stamp your passport. Off you go. And it, it just, it really did. It was really a kind of a mixed bag of how things were going to go at the border because the border guards could go really bad. And I mean, that happened one time as well, where we were leaving Uzbekistan, I think it was. I got hit around the head by a border guard. And I mean, there's nothing you can really say about it
0: or do anything about it. Like, got your passport. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really a mixed bag. When you mention border crossings, particularly in the Middle East, I've I've done some pretty hairy border crossings. I've traveled across Turkey quite a bit. And then sometimes during the year, the border crossing between Bulgaria and Turkey can be quite Mm. interesting. Most people in in the UK and in Europe, they don't, unless you go and explore the world further than, than Europe, you don't really tend to experience border crossings the way border crossings can actually be. So if anyone is interested and if anyone is looking to do a trip outside of Europe, what should they do to prepare? How should they behave in a border crossing? What's your opinion?
1: Um, I think there is a very set way to behave at a border crossing. Um, and I can give you an example of kind of both two different ways, actually. The, the first way is the most detrimental to yourself. if You're trying to get across peacefully, adequately, and kind of actually get into the country or leave the country that you're in and that is by arguing arguing at border Mm -hmm. crossings doesn't get you anywhere in fact it will more than likely end up you in a lot of trouble yeah and uh, i've seen that we got to the border and there was another three teams and they had been arguing with the passport controller and they just kept them there for three four hours overnight and was snowing because they just argued with them. On the other hand, being kind of polite and jokey and not overly friendly, just being a normal person, like you're just having a conversation with a friend or a mate, and that can kind of go a long way. And I think that can really play to your advantage. And I think where it plays to the, my, the advantage of what we have as well is we had such a ridiculous car that it automatically kind of broke the mood with all the staff that we came across. and. And, I, and yeah, there is, there is something about that as well. I don't know exactly what it is, but it is something. It certainly changes the opinion
0: of people. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And in my experience, I must say things like having all your documentation prepared in advance and really organized and, and just making their lives easier helps speed things along. And if, if you don't have all the documentation ready or all your passports or carnet and everything ready, they might think that you're trying to hide something and become suspicious. The moment they become suspicious, they put you on your nerves and then it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Another thing I would say to our listeners is if you've had a bad experience in a border crossing and you're about to cross your next border, don't think about that. Be calm, be relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the easier it will be for you to cross the border. Yeah, it's simple as that because we have to remember they're dealing with thousands and thousands of people a day yeah. sometimes. Some people are trying to traffic goods, drugs, guns, whatever. And if you look suspicious, they will spend more time investigating you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And it is about kind of like, like you said there. It's, it's really about how you are with them and how organized you are. And if you have got everything, then what, they're not going to bother stopping you, are they?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about circumnavigating the globe. Tell us everything. <laughs> Tell us everything. We'll be, we'll be here for <laughs> how, how did that start? Where did the idea come from? So the
1: idea came from a couple of vodkas on the streets of Moscow.
0: Nice. Always a good start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as every good story does. No, it it came actually from the Mongol Rally on the way back. We met up with another team and I was chatting to the guys there and we kind of said to them, look, our car's fine, your car's fine. I mean, our car wasn't fine. We'd lost third gear. We didn't really have a exhaust and some of the suspension was kind of collapsed. But, you know, it was fine. Um, Yeah, we were like, these cars have done this. Why can't they go further? So we we kind of sat around and started putting things together and sort of sorting things out over the next year and then kind of opened it up to anyone. And over the course of the year, we had 11 different vehicles, uh, over 100 people, actually lost count how many people came in total, and people from 33 different nationalities traveled with us. And the kind of the two main vehicles that, that did it was a Nissan Micra and a Skoda Felicia estate that was bought for 75 quid. So, again, not the most practical of vehicles, and that thing broke down quite a lot. Yeah, that that was kind of the, and the idea of it was to see if we could get around the world and to see if it was possible to take such ridiculous vehicles around the world. And, I mean, I know people have taken some really mad stuff around the world. There's that guy in the 70s that drove a Furious Land Rover around the world and drove it through the seas, and, like that. and yeah, that was the idea just just to see what happened really. and and kind of go from there. In terms of what happened, well, I think there's only one way that can really describe it, and that was disorganized chaos. It was ridiculous, to be really honest. I mean, there was a situation we had in Europe where it was in Bulgaria, actually. Um, okay. I was, so a Croatian was driving my car in Macedonia, or sorry, in North Macedonia. And I was driving a German's car who was currently in Greece. And we were both going to go try, we were trying to get to Varmaveke on the Romanian Bulgarian border. But it's this whole situation of just people all across sort of Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, sort of, different countries driving each other's cars yeah it was was just a bit silly to be brutally honest um it wasn't much overlanding at this point it was more of a road trip the overlanding really started where the numbers dropped down to enter russia See, visas became kind of an issue for a lot of people um then we kind of ventured into northern kazakhstan and, and things got really rough we split a sump open got that welded with uh, some guys, some really helpful Kazakh guys on the uh, oil refinery. Really interesting conversation with them. And, and then also the, the kind of geography of the land was just mad. The road was... It was like a war had happened there, is the only way I could describe it. The ro- the, the potholes were that bad. We would drive my micro in with a trolley on so it sits at around 1.9 meters high and we just disappear. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, and then we kind of trekked through Central Asia, went up to Kyrgyzstan, went through the Sukh Pass, which is four and a half thousand meters, driving in the snow. And i just like to point out as well that that when the cars left the UK, they were completely stock, were completely standard, we hadn't made any notifications apart from two I like two little fog lights that I'd put on the front, which weren't wired in. They were just there and drilled them in on like the night before. And yeah, by the time we got to sort of Central Asia, we we'd acquired the trolley from a campsite mass in I think it was Montenegro. We got a roof rack put on the cars in Uzbekistan. We got the suspension changed in Russia, and they also decided to add a ton of expandable foam to my to my car. So now we'd probably float. And then yeah, we went out, shipped cars in a, a whole Escapade of madness where we drove from Almaty in, in Kazakhstan to Vladivostok. It, it's it's around six thousand kilometers, and we did it in about four and a half days. We we're just driving nonstop, simply because our Russian visas are running out, and we miss our boat. And to be honest, this is this is how it went for most of the trip. Uh, Russia, America was the same. Uh, entering America by land, we couldn't get insurance. Mexico was fine. We had a, lost a brake line in Mexico. And then we had a very interesting situation in Central America, trying to ship the cars across the Darien Gap, where they just banned right-hand drive vehicles. And all this time, we've been dri- driving mainly on roads, kind of from the U.S. and Mexico and- in and then into Belize and Guatemala, things got a little, little off roady, should I say? We went up into the mountains and tried to uh, cross the back to get over to the Pacific side of the, the Central American coastline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it kind of just kept going like this until we got to South America. South America was pretty tough. I actually completely ran out of money in South America and. Lost a lot of weight, basically turned gluten free, as well as in a way we don't really know. I I kind of came allergic to rice after a while because I'd eaten. that's basically my diet was just rice, and yeah, it was a really difficult time because at this point with the shipping that had just happened from Honduras to Colombia, we just meant to take a week, ended up taking a month and just running out of money, and we'd started doing deals of hostels, try and live more cheaply, should I say. And this this kind of went on. And then in Peru and, and kind of the further south we went, we started losing equipment. We had to lighten the cars up to get them in the container under a specific weight. It was bin, really good way to kind of minimalize your equipment, to be fair. Yeah, it was it a pretty outstanding trip to then finally get back to or cross Argentina in two days to then get back to Europe and pick up the cars in Hamburg during the G20 riots in 2017. So that was a whole new set of interesting situations. I, I think the, the biggest lesson I learned from it was never ship anything. It's just a pain. <laughs> really? Is it that bad? It is pretty bad. Yeah. To be fair, we were trying to do it ourselves. We didn't get like an agent to kind of, sort an agent. Out. Oh. We just like, yeah, we'll, we'll sort it out. we we'll have sort everything else out. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare.
0: What problems did you have? Was it more with the uh, importing of the vehicles and stuff like that? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. Ultimately. I mean, in, in Colombia, Colombia has some of the strictest import and export laws in the world. And It was a case of you needed, I think it took us five days going around the port to speak to this person and then speak to this person. And then we had to go back and speak to this person to get that document countersigned. And then this person needed to speak to this person. And it was was just trying to tie up lots and lots of really small loose ends. Different people had to do it in a different order. And... It wasn't even the language barrier. We had someone with us who was Portuguese and could fluently speak Spanish, so I can't imagine what it would have been like in trying to to do it without that. And then in Europe, we had the whole situation where we would shipped them back over on something called a T4 document, which is basically returning a vehicle to its home territory. The EU is considered a new vehicle. What we didn't realize is that meant that because it's going back to Germany, we couldn't just pick, drive them off, drive them out of the port. They had, that document had to be cleared in the UK. But then we had to kind of get them out of Hamburg and that back of trucks, basically, before five days were up and we started getting charged 1,000 euros a day. So it's just a, a constant battle, I think is the right word.
0: Sounds like there was plenty to think about. If you did that again, I'm assuming you would, uh, you would not do it without a shipping agent.
1: Yes. Yes. Or, or I would at least know who to speak to now, shall I say. <laughs> I've
0: got a lot of follow-up questions, if you don't mind. If somebody who's listening now is planning to do a long-term trip across, let's say, Europe and Asia or Africa, etc. How do you plan your finances?
1: Yeah, okay. So budgeting is is it's a bit of a guesstimation and doing a lot of research. Now there's a lot of useful sites out there. Um one of them is Numembro, I think it is, which is N-U-M-B-E-O com. And on that you can do comparisons of cities and countries uh, by cost of living, by food, by buying vehicles, station, yeah. literally anything.
0: Yeah. Have you have you used it? Have you? Yeah. I've used it for Work in the past quite a bit actually, and it's it's very it's surprisingly accurate. It's always kept up to date, and uh, it gives you a comparison of, let's say, you need an X amount in Brazil to live the same way as, let's say, if you have an X amount in the UK. Quite a useful website.
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's really good, and like you say, I find it really accurate as well. I think the other one is is knowing your vehicle, how much it's going to cost, how much fuel is, um, and then the research comes into tolls, where they are, and if you can circumnavigate them, uh, how much they cost insurance. So we managed to do a massive kickback and save about $300 a car by getting this insurance deal in La Paz and Bolivia that covered us all South America instead of having to get insurance for sort of Uruguay and Argentina and Chile as well. So that that was kind of a a bonus there. But in terms of, of budgeting... Me personally, I love a good spreadsheet. And for mm-hmm. this trip, I actually have a humongous spreadsheet of, of all the costs. And it, it honestly is, I, I'm sure you'll say the same, it's all about knowing what, you, what you're what capable of spending, what your kind of costs are to begin with, or sorry, what you, your budget is to begin with, and kind of working it out from there, working it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think pre-planning probably the, the best
0: answer <laughs> can you say how much it cost you are you are you open to to sharing that yeah absolutely yeah, yeah.
1: and so it this this circumnavigation cost
0: me in total uh, 8500 pound 8500 pound and mm-hmm. that's that's excluding the shippings
1: no that's with my contribution ship.
0: wow that's amazing because bear in mind we had
1: uh, quite a lot of people so a lot of a lot of the shippings and things were divvied up between a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I think the shipping was, it was worked out that it was like 21 different people paid into it at the end of it because of the different people that were traveling in our vehicles through those periods. And obviously that's what I spent. I think someone else spent 11 and someone else spent around 16. So still a fair amount of money, 16 to...
0: £8,000. Did that include all the food, all the subsistence, everything? Yeah. yeah. That's incredible because if you think about it, yes, it's it's a fair amount of money, but actually I know some people and I must myself have done that. I've spent quite significant amounts of money just on upgrades on my vehicle. And to think about it, you can actually take a a relatively affordable vehicle. And if you have some mechanical knowledge and and the ability to do some work on the car, you can travel the world for £8,000.
1: Yes. Yes, you can.
0: I mean, theoretically speaking. Yeah,
1: that's incredible. Yeah, theoretically. Yeah, theoretically. I won't lie to people, that was pretty rough. That was pretty rough living in that time. I mean, I spent three months of that without food, more or less. Um, Did I get to see a lot of sites and a lot of really, like, amazing things and go out and do kind of the the, the stereotypical tourist things? Not really. Uh, In terms of an amazing trip, certainly. In terms of could have been better, absolutely.
0: Would you do anything differently if you were to do it again?
1: Yeah, I would actually, yeah. I would slow it down. Mm-hmm. Slow it down considerably. Two days in a country or a couple of hours in a country isn't even close to an amount of time to understand culture, for one, understand people, but also see the kind of geography and kind of see what's actually there. It's just not enough time. And, I mean, yeah. obviously there's no... There's no amount of time in the world to actually see all these places, but I would have certainly slowed it down.
0: Sounds absolutely incredible. Honestly, that's that's super impressive what you've done. What did you learn about yourself in that year or so of travel? In that
1: year, I, to be honest, I learned a hell of a lot. One being that pride, and, you know, I will happily admit this, pride isn't always a good thing. People should have a certain level of pride, but too much pride is... Can be a negative effect. I learned that the hard way. I also learned about kind of resilience and how the human body can actually take a lot of beating when you put it through certain situations. And it's really, it really is capable. Um, I mean, we were sleeping rough in cars, you know, five days across Siberia, we didn't sleep, we were driving for 20 hours straight. Doesn't seem possible. But it was, and we did it. And I also think that, in terms of things I learned about myself, was keeping an open mind. That people are just people. There's no such thing as this good, bad, People, people, people generally speaking, to live their lives, whatever they're doing. And I think it's kind of respecting that. In the way that we're living, in having the fortunate opportunity to actually go to these places and respect that they're, how they're living, what may seem absolutely barbaric to us, maybe their culture. Yeah, I, I think it. Th- those are kind of the big things that that I personally learned from that trip.
0: Being exposed, exposed and not at the same time to all these different cultures, and and different environments, I believe it teaches you more about you and more about how you react to what's happening around you in the world than a lot of other things than, let's say, than it teaches you about culture or or the world or whatever.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, what you just, what you said there really rings true in my, in my mind. You've had some pretty tough, tough situations out there, right? You didn't eat pretty much anything for three months. That's incredible. How did you stay strong in that whole time? You know, let's talk about mental health here. Let's, let's talk about resilience. How did you do that? Kept a focus is the ultimate answer. And during that
1: time, I was focused on, firstly, the, the shipping fiasco with the Colombian Honduras mm-hmm. situation and kind of not wanting to see that situation. through Because we had a pretty, honestly, it wasn't rough or terrible. It was just kind of annoying. And Canada was shipping. So my focus at the time was don't let that happen get shipping sorted back to Europe so it's clean, it's easy, it's all done, and done But alongside that, get media and get kind of interest in what we're doing because it was, you know, it's a pretty different thing really, isn't it? Right. And, and that's basically all, all I was doing when we weren't driving. It was a kind of a case of either filming, doing kind of interviews for short documentary, or basically sat behind a laptop, contacting all manner of different companies and trying to sort out their uh, shipping. So it's it's kind of that focus, that ultimate focus of going and pinpointing on one thing and kind of go for it. And I mean, alongside this, I also had the situation where the vehicle was actually registered in my name. And especially in Colombia, I couldn't actually leave the country without my vehicle. So it's kind of a, a situation where was, you, you just have to keep going. You don't have a choice.
0: Let's not get it wrong here, right? This is an absolutely incredible experience that you've had. Mm. It's clearly taught you a lot. It's clearly enriched your life. And I'm sure it's made you a better human, better person. Oh, thanks. For, for yourself and for others. Would you do it again? Yes, yeah, so would. Obviously, it would be done differently, I think. Yeah.
1: Knowing yeah. what I know now in comparison and the, the kind of, the way th- certain things could be done better. And I think it would also be done at a much slower pace, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It would be very different. There would also be a lot more mountaineering involved and it's there'd yep. be a lot more kind of other activities. Be a, an ultimate, I suppose the ultimate thing is there would be, I'd have more financial backing, do the thing that I wanted to do last time. I think that would have been the the, the biggest difference.
0: I'm listening to you and analyzing myself. I'm one for planning, one for organizing. And when I go on a trip, everything has to be down to the T. And and I find that when I've been to this amazing places that I absolutely love and always wanted to go and everything's planned out and I come back and I realize, "Mm, actually, I didn't stop and actually think about it. I didn't stop and enjoy the place. And I'm kind of hearing that in your voice, you know, you've done this incredible trip once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, rarely people get to do that, but I'm kind of hearing a slight regret that you haven't really stopped and enjoyed each places. Would you say that's the case?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I would say sometimes it was forced. There was quite a few situations where I missed out on certain things because I was fixing vehicles, As mm-hmm. But well, at this point, having done the Mongol rally, I kinda of knew the most about vehicles. Um so I missed going to the Grand Canyon, miss quite a few things throughout all of Central and South America because of trying to fix vehicles. As well as lots of sleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I do regret um those missing those things.
0: Regret is it's a feeling that we'll will never escape, I'm sure, a very good friend of mine and a very wise one always used to say, go to a place, but make sure you don't see everything so you can long to get back. Mm. And I think that's important. And as much as regret as much as you would have loved to see the Grand Canyon, for example, that gives you a reason to go out and do that again and do it better and more prepared and spend more time seeing things. So that's, that's amazing. I think there's two, two sides to every coin, right?
1: Absolutely. I agree.
0: I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, and then we can talk a little bit about the future. One is out of all the countries you've seen and been to, what are your top three destinations?
1: It's a question I get asked a lot and... I'm sure you do. (laughs) There actually this this three countries that I have in mind, and they are very different. The one that I think is probably at the top, maybe not actually, it's probably second on the list. Would be Kyrgyzstan, and Kyrgyzstan is a really interesting. It's kind of the meeting point of trade of east mm-hmm. and west in a way. But it's it's interesting to me because of the overlanding and incredible off-road routes there, but also because of the mountaineering and some of the biggest unclimbed mountains in like Kyrgyzstan. Then I think it would be Peru, mainly because of the mountain aspect as well. But also the, the culture of Peru and the the old Incan spoken only language is something that really intrigues me, along with the the history. And the last one would be either Canada or Slovenia.
0: Mm, interesting. Again, mountainous countries.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, there's a theme reoccurring here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's for two slightly different reasons. So, I spent quite a lot of time in Slovenia um, walking the Slovenian mountain trail, which is kind of a, an unknown, more unknown walking. Long distance walking route, and this really just fascinates me. It's a really interesting country. It's very small in population, but has this really green finger. Over half the country's forests. It's there's solar panels and everything. Bus stations. You can charge your phone on USB on like a seat that you'd find in the middle of a the street. There's climbing walls in the middle of the street. It's just a really interesting place and Canada because of its vastness.
0: I'm very glad I asked you this question because I've asked this question to a lot of my guests and I've heard many, many different answers and some of them are the the more popular Iceland, New Zealand, places like that. And don't get me wrong, I mean, they're absolutely stunning and absolutely yeah. amazing. But your answer was, uh, was quite interesting because I've heard of... I've never been to Kyrgyzstan, for example, but I've heard a lot of spectacular things about it—the nature and the sheer size of the mountains, and and how untouched everything is. I've been thinking about doing the uh, Silk Road, and um, I know Kyrgyzstan is is part of that. But anyway, I'm I'm going slightly <laughs> off topic here. Let's talk about you, not me. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds interesting. <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, we can get in touch and talk about the uh, the Silk Road <laughs> and potentially doing that in the next few years. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly you're the guy to have on a ro- on a road like that. So I'll I'll definitely keep you in mind if I decide to do that. So you've shared a lot of your mishaps and and you know, slight challenges in your adventures. Are you able to pinpoint to perhaps one event which was the sort of the biggest oh shit moment in your travels?
1: Ooh. Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> Cuz the list is quite quite long is the list. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, are we talking in terms of uh, vehicles breaking or
0: like no. near-death situations? Or- <laughs> so yeah, it's more about you and how you felt at that moment where they felt, oh my God, you know, this trip is over or, you know, oh my God, I'm going to die here or something that where you felt really extreme fear to give you an idea of why I'm asking that. I'm more interested in in the answer of how you overcame that, but for our listeners, everyone loves a bit of drama, so I'm sure they're going <laughs> to love hearing about that as well. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, there's quite a few. Um, so I've had around, let's see, three pretty close calls of nearly dying on trips, um, and, I, and I mean pretty close calls. Uh, one was getting swept out in a rip current in the Pacific Ocean, which was Pretty ridiculous. And it was kind of my own fault in a way. And that was like you said earlier about keeping strong during the time of of not eating. That was partly due to that. It was that case of, ah, I've got the ability, I know how to do it. That actually showed me something else, the the true friendship. The fact that my friend stayed with me the entire time, despite the fact he could have got back to shore. So that was a very touching moment for me personally. And The other ones were on the Mongol Rally and were really, definitely my fault, and were really stupid and stuff that I definitely don't recommend. (laughs) (laughs) I I would like to say that nobody should try this stuff. (laughs) And the the big, the big one was in Tajikistan on the Pamir Highway, and I'd spent more or less the entirety of the, the kind of the drive on the Pano Highway, sat on the roof of our car.
0: And... (laughs) I like your style, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it was great. So so my excuse was, and it's a good excuse. Micras are very low slung, especially when you put a a 60-kilo roof rack and then fill it with another 100 kilos of stuff on the roof, and then a person. And because of it, we couldn't really see and we had sort of shortwave, normal walkie-talkie radios. So I was sat on the roof, directing our car through the sand and the mountains. And the kind of the, the situation that happened in order to that nearly went disastrously wrong is we were doing fifty mile an hour on a bit of tarmac, and I was stood on top of the roof uh, with a static line climbing rope and kind of holding and that was tied. Pretty securely to the roof, and tie holding on to that whilst kind of stancing and holding basically nothing, and I nearly got thrown off. So yeah, don't do that.
0: Yeah, sounds pretty scary.
1: <laughs> Idiotic is probably a better one than, than scary. And I, the other one didn't actually happen to me. Uh, I was kind of not responsible, but was very much involved. One of my teammates on the rally split his head open in the middle of Mongolia. And that was fine. You know, we strapped him up. It was when he was complaining that it was cold. It was about 30 degrees and the rest of us were just wearing shorts, basically. Um, And he was wearing two down jackets. Then he started throwing up. And we then had to do 60 mile an hour off road all the way to a village to try and find a doctor. It turned out he had mild to severe head concussion along with severe dehydration. So that was a pretty hair-raising moment. Yeah, there's been quite a few.
0: Man, you've definitely had some adventures. What's next for you? It's all very much
1: unknown. I was looking to do a trip to Georgia and take the micro out to Georgia and to do Mount Kazbek. Not with the micro, I mean climb it and, and use the micro to get there because Georgia's got some really wild off-road routes. This, this summer was all about kind of building up my freelancing and international trips, so I was set to lead two of those. I was going to be doing one to the Himalayas next year. plan at the minute is to kind of oh, be working on a few things. I've been looking at running a few courses about introducing all these things that we've talked about, including vehicle choice, kind of the, the things that we are not normally talked about in terms of overlap. In a, a kind of a weekend course, and kind of taken from my knowledge and kind of a few different people's knowledge, and running that along with choosing people mountaineering and climbing, taken from my experience of, as a mountain leader, overland adventurer. I, so I don't
0: really know if anyone is interested in in your courses and, and the things that you're doing regarding international trips. Where can they find more about you?
1: Yeah, so I everything's currently going for a bit of a, a, a rebrand and rework as well at the minute. So you can find me under RM Adventures, a uh, super original name.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're an adventurer. You're not a marketer. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> uh, RM Adventures, or literally my name, If, if I think RM Adventures comes up higher on Google than Richard Matthews. You know.
0: RM Adventures.co.uk, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of going through a bit of a, a revamp at the minute and the, the websites kind of will be changing.
0: And you have an Instagram account as well, right? Do you want to share that? Yeah. As you can see, I'm terrible at the marketing side of things. <laughs> that's fine. For low podcasts, we're quite active on Facebook and on Instagram. Hence why I ask you about Instagram. So you are the, the RM adventures on Instagram, right? Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's the RM adventures. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you very much, man. It was, it was great to chat to you. Like there's there's lots to discuss, no, we need to get that Silk Road trip going.
0: <laughs> Mate, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely keen on doing that, for sure. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
1: I'm involved in obviously in the, the mental health side of things as well, which we touched on briefly, but that's I do I do a lot of things around that. I'm currently working on a overland ex overland expedition adventure rally. I Haven't quite figured out the thing on that, but be a rally to raise funds for the charity, that venture therapy who work here in Devon, where I'm based, and taking people with unique health and sort of implications, not just mental but physical as well, and giving them adventurous and outdoor led, which is all free. And yeah, it's something I'm quite passionate around i've gone through similar things myself in, in my life. I'm sure pretty much everyone, everyone goes through. Different, different times, don't they? especially at the minute.
0: If anyone was interested in making a donation or, or helping out the uh, the charity, where can they find it?
1: Uh, it's the, it's called Adventure Therapy, and you can find it across all social media, and the website is adventuretherapy.org.
0: UK. I'll put a link to that in case people want to have a look and, and perhaps donate and help out. So, yeah, guys, if you're interested in adventure therapy, go check them out. It's www.adventuretherapy.org.uk.
1: Best way to uh, come on the rally when it's uh, finally posted up and we finally get things sorted out.
0: And what sort of timelines do you have for the
1: rally? It's looking at next year at the minute. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things that we were still sort of discussing and figuring out.
0: That's perfect. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure and and really it's been an honor having you on the show. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and and learning a little bit about your adventures, your mishaps. And man, honestly, really kudos to you, man. You're a strong guy. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you very much for being on the show.
1: No, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's been a good chat. Uh, I like to have chats like this and share share stories on the road and give a different aspect, give a different angle to overlanding, should I say?
0: If you like the show and would like to support us in this journey, then consider becoming a patron. You can find us on www.patreon.com forward slash 4 Podcast. Thank you. If you have any questions or comments as well, feel free to follow us on Instagram. We are on 4 Podcast. That is 4LowPodcast. Look forward to speaking to you there.